This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Angles on the Beat. And I uh, got a cool program for you. Kirby Smart, of course, talked Saturday about the scrimmage, which was actually last Thursday. They started outside, they had a couple series, and then boom, lightning struck. They had to finish it inside. Kirby Smart had some thoughts on that scrimmage, had some players stock go up, had some other players he was not thrilled with, and some thoughts about maybe what we'll see from this weekend. Said right from the start, though, that he didn't think the scrimmage was as good as the first one, and he attributed that to the fact that they had to kind of change things up originally. They were going to scrimmage last Saturday, but because of the downpour, the weather that was coming, they moved it outside. At least they were able to get most of it in, and then they were forced inside for the second half, and Kirby's explanation was, hey, sometimes when things change, people don't always adjust as well, and maybe that's why. So Thursday to Saturday, uh, or Saturday to Thursday, uh, said there were too many false starts, motions, administrative penalties, he calls them. I mean, that's that's guys getting lined up, things that we take for granted. Because you rarely see Georgia with a motion penalty. You rarely see Georgia with the quarterback having trouble getting out of the huddle and getting to the line on time. I mean, these are things that we just assume are going to happen on time in Kirby Smart's programs, just like clockwork, boom, 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 too much motion movement and he attributed that to the newer players he i think he counted up you know the midterm enrolling freshman three plus two transfers and he kind of said you know this is probably why i said there was some frustration there was the word he used was frustration so rah rah thomas dom love it not not hearing so much about dom you know maybe rah rah i don't i don't know he didn't name names but we knew that rah rah was a guy that kirby said early this spring wanted to be more dependable um, had a good scrimmage in scrimmage one. Didn't hear much about scrimmage two. Uh, did see some highlights. Uh, if you check out the um, the Georgia football Twitter account, they put some highlights up there. Looked like Beck had some really nice throws. Saw Vandergrift with a, a, a nice 50-50 ball uh, that someone came down with in the end zone. Um, pretty good stuff. Um, but I did hear that. I heard Brock Bowers fumble. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Even Brock Bowers had a fumble. And I kind of wonder who stripped it, you know, because Kirby dropped the line the other day about one of the players, the good, right? When we start talking about the good things that happen in that scrimmage, one of the players that Kirby's pretty high on right now, pretty excited about is Tyke Smith. And, and we remember that Tyke came to the program, hard to believe it was, gosh, before two seasons ago, he was a priest, he was an All-American at West Virginia. And we all thought, oh my gosh, Tyke's going to be this big, impact player but then 2021 he he just couldn't stay healthy remember he had the foot injury it cost him like the first four or five games he comes back he plays against Auburn looked good played three or four he made three or four stops and then he had the knee injury in practice out the rest of the year and then last year uh you know just I don't think was really you know I think it was last year yeah he played in a knee brace last year and he just got rid of the knee brace so he's pretty excited uh, to be out of the knee brace and said he's flying around, he's confident, and Kirby's just been praising the heck out of him. And it makes me wonder or think maybe Tyke is going to be at the star and Bullard is going to move to safety. Right now they're all kind of rotating around, and nobody really is specifying who's doing what because right now they are rotating, but I kind of project that 
to be what's going to happen to see Tyke at the star and maybe Bullard where Chris Smith was at safety. I mean, we'll see. There's still competition for who's going to be lining up next to uh, Malachi. Um, kind of wonder what's going to happen there. Kirby also said uh, he was really excited about Ernest Green and, and, and Blasky, the way they've been rotating at left tackle. Uh, Blasky seems to, to be the one there and Green the two. But remember, Blasky's a guy that can play anywhere. He's kind of the, remember, Cade Mays was kind of that Swiss Army knife guy that could play tackle or interior line or center in this case. Um, so you wonder, you know, maybe does Blasky start and then rotates in somewhere. You just don't know exactly how it's going to all shape out. But the big thing is that neither one of these guys want to leave the field. And Kirby talked about that. He talked about how, you know, Green had an ankle and waved somebody off like, no, I'm not coming out. And in Blasky, you know, playing through shoulder, just likes the toughness, you know, wants guys that, that love football and want to be out there. I mean, that's a mentality that Georgia has. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, part of the infrastructure, part of the character of the program. When you've got tough guys that want to be out there that don't want to come out of the game for anything, that's something that Kirby notices and, and really likes. He kind of, he didn't come out and say Carson Beck played better. He didn't say that, but he said there wasn't as much boneheadedness. Somebody said, hey, coach, was there boneheadedness out there? He said, not as much boneheadedness. Remember, scrimmage won back with three interceptions. That was not the case. And Kirby talked about had some instances where threw it away and lived for another day. That's what he wants. He doesn't want a quarterback trying to force the ball in there, uh, you know, trying to make hero plays. Look, you've got a good defense. you got a good punter. You can play field position football at Georgia if you've got a defense like they have. Now, there's some games, obviously, where the quarterback is going to have to put the game on the shoulders. And and we saw instances where that happened with Stetson for the better and for the worse. Sometimes Stetson got it done eventually, and there were a couple games where he didn't. But most of the time, he didn't have to push anything, right? It was a very efficient uh, offense that kind of took what the defense gave, that didn't really force the issue. Uh, didn't turn it over a ton. Um, and I think that's what Kirby wants, regardless of whether it's Beck or Vandergriff. The first thing that that quarterback has to do is not beat the team, not beat yourself. That's the first thing. Not to say that, that Kirby doesn't want a guy back there that can make big plays, but you better make them and, and don't make foolish plays by forcing the football. That's, that's his point. I mean, things are going to happen. Uh, defenders are going to make great plays. Balls are going to get tipped. But if it's you forcing it in where there's two or three defenders, that's not going to be an acceptable decision to Kirby Smart. So it sounds like both Beck and Vandergrift, and Vandergrift didn't have any picks in the first scrimmage, but it sounds like both of those quarterbacks more efficient in that way. And we'll find out more at G-Day next Saturday. It's hard to believe that it's already creeping up on us. It's only six days away. It seems like spring just started yesterday, and yet here we are. Uh, there's two practices left, Tuesday and Thursday. And then the and then the the G day is at 4 p.m. on Saturday. Tickets ticket information that uh, up on Dog Nation parking, dog walk, all that stuff. We got a post on that uh, if you want to check that out. So it sounds pretty good to me in, in terms of where George is. Now Kirby's not satisfied. Kirby's never satisfied. And I actually ran a, a poll and said, you know, Kirby Smart says he's not pleased. You know, what do you make of that? And like 79% of the people said, that's just Kirby being Kirby, right? Another 10% were like, I'll wait till after G-Day. And another 10% were like, yeah, yeah, if he's worried, I'm worried. Most Georgia fans aren't really sweating it right now. You know, and I wonder, 
I wonder if the attitude would be different if Georgia was opening with a Clemson or an Oregon, like they had the previous two years. In fact, you know, I got to think that does make a difference in how Kirby's managing things. You know, the fact that he says, I want to see both of these guys play in games. Well, Kirby knows that they open up against uh, Tennessee, Martin, and Ball State. So the head coach knows that he's going to have those extra two games. Now, he's not going to say those are practice games or scrimmages or anything like that. He's not going to say that. But wouldn't he be foolish if he didn't take advantage of that? I mean, one thing Kirby does is manage his football program effectively and make the most use out of his time and make the most use out of his opportunities. I mean, this is why Kirby Smart is the best coach in college football right now. I see some of these rankings. And and listen, I'll say Nick Saban, you know, greatest of all time modern era. How could you not with, you know, whatever, five or six rings? I mean, he's done a remarkable job and he turned Alabama into a dynasty and, and Bama set the bar. But Georgia's broken through. I mean, Georgia's raised it, right? Georgia has won the last two in a row and the dogs are on the verge of, of what would be historical. And to me, this is big. I mean, winning two in a row, okay, it doesn't happen often. What are we talking, two or three times, uh, you know, that you've had, you know, consensus back-to-backs two, twice. Uh, so what if Georgia can do this again? They would be doing something that no program has done since like 1934, 35, 36 Minnesota. That's leather helmet days, right? If Georgia, I mean, Georgia would become the greatest program of our time without argument if they can three-peat. I mean, you, you, there would be no more argument. There would be no more Nick Saban. There would be no more Saban's this and Alabama. Look, if Georgia three-peats, nobody's done it. Nobody's gotten, and nobody's going to match it. Because we're, we're going into this playoff era uh, after next season where you're going to have a 12-team playoff. It's going to be harder than ever. It's, it's already harder than ever in the sense of more teams eligible to win the title at the end of the year. Now, it, you, could, you could also make the case that, you know, it's easier now because you get in as a, a three seed, right? In, in 2021, the 2021 team doesn't play for a national title. Prior to 2014, they wouldn't have got in. They were the third team. That loss to Alabama, that would have been it. That SEC championship game to Bama would have knocked him out. End of the year, if not for the 14 playoff, right? So Georgia's kind of benefited from that. Now, last year, they were undefeated. They were number one, and they, they would have been in whether whatever year. But, but 2021, they wouldn't have gotten in. So I always go back and when I hear people talk about, you know, well, Steve Spurrier only won one or Mark Rick never, they didn't play in a 14 playoff. Okay. And so things could have been different. I think things would have been different. I really do. Uh, To some extent, not sure how much, but if Kirby and Georgia win three national consensus titles in a row, that's it. I mean, and so there is so much incentive for Georgia. Now there's always incentive to win championships. It's not like you needed more, but there's just so much riding on. And you've got this tailor-made schedule that really gives Georgia an opportunity to build up steam, a lot of runway uh, before you really got to take off. I mean, when you think about the first four games against UT Martin, against Ball State, against South Carolina, against UAB, go game five at Auburn, at Auburn, 
right? Is that your first real? I mean, South Carolina, I know they, I know they upset some people, but they've got so little production coming back. I just don't think South Carolina, even with Rattler, as good as he is, as good as he can be, and I'm I'm among those that think that he's a very dangerous quarterback. He's very skilled, very talented. I just don't think Carolina, with all the newness that they have, is going to be ready to do what they need to do to win in Sanford State. I just can't see it. I just can't see it. At Auburn game five, I know Hugh Freeze is, you know, regarded by some as an offensive genius. Uh, I guess he was at Old Miss when they beat Kirby in 2016. A lot of people might remember that. I just don't think – I could be wrong, though. I mean, it's at Jordan-Hare, and I do think that is one of the hardest stadiums in the league to play at. I, I think the Swamp and Jordan-Hare are probably – and obviously Tiger Stadium. I think those are the three hardest stadiums in the SEC to play at. Uh, maybe that's a big challenge. But, my goodness, by then Georgia should have a lot of these wrinkles ironed out. They should know who their quarterback is. They should know what their offensive identity is. And, and I've kind of gotten into this discussion with people uh, about the challenges that Mike Bobo has. And, and I think he has a more challenging situation than Todd Munkin did. All right. Because number one, expectations. The expectations are enormous. You're coming in on a program that's won two titles. And just tonight's show is evidence. It's the offseason. It's April 10th, and I'm talking about 3 P. That's our conversation in Georgia football, is can this program win three titles in a row? Not how are they doing, not, you know, gosh, how's the improvement? No, it's can Georgia take the – this is all in. You either, you either do it or you don't. You, you either 3 P or you don't. I mean, it's a fall from – let's be honest. I mean, if Georgia doesn't 3 P, it would be a disappointment. It really would because they go into the season number one and we're looking at the landscape and who's out there that really scares you. I mean, what program really scares you? I, I don't see any. I mean, last year, Ohio State, but Ohio State lost C.J. Stroud. He was the best player in that game and he's all, he's gone. Now they got Marvin Harrison Jr., but they got a new quarterback. I can't imagine that they're going to have a quarterback that can play like C.J. Stroud played in that game. He was unbelievable. Everybody tipped their cap to C.J. Stroud that night. Uh, Alabama has lost Bryce Young. Bryce Young single-handedly, you know, beat the heck out of 2021 Georgia, maybe the greatest modern-era defense, allowed, what, 6.9 points per game in the regular season, hadn't been done since 1986 Oklahoma, and Bryce put 41 on him, and over 400 yards passing that night. I mean, Bryce was ridiculous. That, that's why him and C.J. Stroud, those are guys that can put – teams on their back single-handedly and that's why one of those guys is going to be the number one pick of the Carolina Panthers I, I don't know which one um but they're both worthy I, I think Bright personally I think Bryce Young is a better NFL prospect even though he's smaller I just think he has I think he is got more quickness and his arm talent is it's just ridiculous and I've seen Stroud play good but there's been games when Stroud hasn't been the gamer that that Bryce is, we could talk about that on a whole nother show, and we will on a draft preview show as we get closer. But point is, no CJ, no Bryce. So, so who's out there? Clemson's back, okay? Clemson's back, and and will probably make the playoff. You know, the, the K. Klubnick guy, uh, 
you know, he looked really good at times, but, you know, then lost to Tennessee. But Clemson is a team that I think could be dangerous. Um, you know, USC with Caleb Williams, do they play defense out there? Do they need to? Could they outscore you? Could they get in a score fest? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, Texas and Sarkeesian, they didn't even score an offensive touchdown on TCU last year at home with Bijan Robinson is, you know, first round back. If you can't score a touchdown at home against TCU, I mean, I just – I'm not bought into all gas, no breaks Texas as a threat out of the Big 12. This would be their last year in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't look like Oklahoma. So I, I guess my point is where Kirby's elevated this program, expectations – and now we're all looking at Bobo like, you just got to take over from Munkin. And it's almost like Bobo set up to fail because a lot of people are, well, that's not the Mike Bobo offense. Well, it's not going to – or excuse me, that's not the, the Todd Munkin offense. Well, it's not going to be. Todd Munkin can't run the Todd Munkin offense because he doesn't have a six foot seven, 280-pound tight end, and he doesn't have a pass-catching running back like Kenny McIntosh. They don't have that. They don't have the same ingredients to bake the same cake. It's Stetson Bennett's not there, a quarterback with mobility and experience that, like I said, so good at getting the team in and out of the huddle where you just take that for granted. And, and then two offensive tackles that didn't give up any sack, they're gone. Listen, this is a massive uh, challenge because Bobo's going to have to do it in a more conventional way. He doesn't have those unique skill set guys like Darnell and Kenny. And unique skill set guys present unique challenges the defenses don't have the personnel for how many linebackers are going to uh, cover Kenny McIntosh 30 yards downfield, you know, and I think Kendall and Dejan can catch the swing pass. I think they can catch the screen, but do I expect him to go downfield and run routes like a receiver like Kenny did? No. Do I expect him to give the, the, the diversity or the versatility that Darnell did as a blocker that could smash anybody? And yet, who do you cover? And what? No, there's not another guy like that that's that size that can block with that level of efficiency and power. There's just not. So he's going to have to be more conventional. Hence, I think George will be easier to defend. Now, I still think George is going to put up huge numbers. I still think they could break offensive record numbers, partly because of the schedule and partly because I think Bobo's going to put the hammer down. I think that's a guy with a chip on his shoulder that wants to show everybody. I mean, he already coached the highest scoring offense in Georgia history. A lot of people don't realize that. He already coached the winningest quarterback in SEC history. He already coached the all-time passing leader in SEC history. And he already coached the number one overall draft pick, who was the richest number one ever in Matthew. And he's done all that. And, and all I hear is doubt. I'm like, man, what, what is wrong with you people? No, he didn't win the big. Well, it wasn't just Mike Bobo, okay? There was a deep. You've kind of got the Mark Richt offense now right and the Kirby defense and and now you've got maybe a 3p it's 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 just remarkable um big doubleheader win for Scott Strickland in baseball I want to throw that out there because you know the hair trigger reaction when a team's struggling like Georgia baseball is well you got to fire the coach you got to fire the coach you gotta, it's not the coach it's not the coach how can I say it's not the coach because your facilities are among the worst in the SEC relative to the other. Now, the SEC's other facilities are fantastic. On a scale of 1 to 10, everybody's between 8 and 10, and Georgia's sitting here at a 5, okay? So it's not like Georgia's a 1. It's just everybody else is so blasted good. And if you look at the rankings in the nation, I think five of the top six teams are from this league. So Georgia just two, took two out of three from a Kentucky team that was number 10. That's pretty doggone good. Um, when you play in the SEC, if you're a little off, you're a lot off in baseball. 
And so when you don't have the pitching lab, when you don't have the indoor cages, when you don't have the facilities that other programs have, you're going to lose out on elite players. But this is the big one to me. And that is, you know, baseball players, very few, if any, on the team have full, full ride scholarship. You know that, right? There's like, I don't know what, 11 that are split up among however many guys. And, and so you get parcels here. and part. So a lot of these guys are paying for themselves. Well, if you're a Georgia kid and you can qualify academically, you can get financial aid, yada, yada, that helps. Okay, cool. But what if you want to recruit a kid from Florida? Or what if you want to recruit a kid from Alabama or a kid from Tennessee or a kid from South Carolina? They don't waive out-of-state tuition at Georgia for athletes. Huge problem. Huge problem. Why? Because other SEC schools do. So it's not a level playing field. They have better facilities other places, and they can get more kids into school cheaper. I mean, let's be honest here. If you're a guy in South Carolina and you're trying to decide between Georgia and Tennessee and it's really close, but it's going to cost you $8,000 a year more at Georgia than it is Tennessee. Well, that's probably going to make it up your mind for a lot of parents. And, and it's just reality. You just, so why won't Georgia waive the out-of-states? I don't know. I don't know. I've asked the AD. He said, well, not everybody in the league does. I've asked the, and some things are out of Josh Brooks's control. And this is where, Georgia has to decide if they want to really compete for championships in these non-revenue sports. You're either all in or you're all out. I mean, if, if President Moorhead has learned anything from Kirby Smart, and, and he's a very smart man, I'm sure he has, it's that you're either all in or you're all out, okay? Kirby's all in to win football, and Georgia has gone all in to win football. You see the recruiting budgets, the base in the country. You see $240 million in, in uh, facilities upgrades since Kirby's been hired seven years ago. All in. Kirby's highest paid staff, all in. But the non-revs, they're not all in, okay? And and it's to me, that's a, that's an issue because I think Georgia is a place that, that should dominate. If you've got a high school athlete in the South, this is where you want to live, all right, in Georgia, because it is the, the high school coaches here just do such a tremendous job um, across the board in all sports. You're seeing them dominate in softball now. You're starting to see softball dominate. They got a new coach, a second-year coach, Tony Baldwin. He's got this thing figured out. He's got enough pitching now. And you see Georgia dicing it out with Tennessee at the top of the league. Unfortunately, they don't play each other in a regular season. That would be one heck of a series because Georgia has the best hitting in the league, hands down. They lead the league in home runs, total bases. I think they're second in batting average. A big series for Georgia this weekend in baseball and softball will be down in Gainesville at the same time. Uh, a lot of dog fans will be here for G-Day. Otherwise, they'd probably travel down and support Georgia baseball and softball down there in Gainesville. That's going to be big series for both of those programs. You know, last thing I want to address tonight, and kind of a wrap-up, kind of a quick hitter show. Um, you know, Vince Dooley, everybody's kind of got their Vince Dooley moments, I feel like. Your memories. Um, I was fortunate to have a Vince Dooley moment after uh, a Kirby Smart press conference. I talked, I talked to Coach Dooley alone. Uh, probably three or four times. And this particular time, uh, I was asking him about the lack of games between Alabama and Georgia during his tenure. They only played six times, um, you know, over like 24 years or so between, I don't know what, 66 and 89. Only played six times. And, and there's a story behind that. And I'll save that for another show. But one of the things that came out of that conversation 
was that Coach Dooley wanted to scrimmage Alabama in the spring game. And he brought that idea to the SEC, and they, they didn't want to hear it. And it was a fantastic idea. Now, why wouldn't it work back then, but maybe it could work now? Well, simple, because a couple of reasons. One, you, you've got the means to televise a lot of these games because you've got the ESPN Plus streaming service, right? You can easily have all these games streamed. Two, you, you've got a need for it. Like, people want to see college football in the spring. They want to see it. I, I think they want to tune in and see what's going on. You, you've built this marketing opportunity with the sport. And I think let's go one step further. I see split squad games, you know, take half of Georgia's roster, send them up to Oregon and the other half plays here, play one game Friday, one game Sunday or, and, and televise it. There's no pressure to win. You know, it's a scrimmage. The quarterbacks aren't going to get hit. It's a controlled scrimmage, but I think people would watch it. I think some people might even travel just to be around the team. You know how you could do a little autograph session uh, you know, after the game or before the game. I mean, if you market this right, TV is going to make money off this. The people who have NIL deals with the kids, they're the ones who need to be advertising, right? It's opportunity for players to play who wouldn't normally get on the field because you're going split squad now. I think it's everybody. And there's more money, more money for NIL, for coaches' salaries, for stadium. You're playing Well, you're already playing uh a game that your your G day, but does anybody? I mean, what do you get not? But if you were to put another team out there, right? It's different. Now, I had a coach tell me as long as they're keeping score, somebody's gonna be on a hot seat. Come on, you really think that fans? Well, they probably some fans probably would. They probably want to jump to. But you know what? These coaches get paid ten, eleven, twelve million dollars to deal with that sort of second guessing. That should be the least of their problems, is what fans think. The, the, if there's an issue, it should be about how do you get the most out of this for your team. But you've got 14 other practices for that. Look, if you want more money, stop asking fans to donate to NIL. Stop asking boosters for huge donations, you know, while their IRA whittles away with the economy shaky right now. Who's, who can really afford it's on a fixed income to be taking their life savings out and, and giving it to a program when we don't know what the stock market's going to do for me? It's just the time, the same things that's restricting the building on campuses is hurting the donation well. So maybe instead of asking the fans for money or raising the prices on the season tickets or asking the donors for more money, maybe you do more as a program to earn your money. Maybe you play the split squad game so your television contract goes up and you don't have to keep asking fans and boosters for money, right? You earn it. If kids want to get paid, then they need to play. They need to play. It's pay for play, right? Okay, well, then play. Play more. Play more. And we're already seeing play more with the expansion of the playoffs from four to 12 games. They're they're four to 12 teams. They're going to play more. That's part of what's going on. They have to create their own revenue opportunities now that NIL is a reality and and they're looking for a, a model that will support this NIL and the players getting paid. Well, here you go. Don't waste a spring game on one another. Don't waste that opportunity. That is a marketing opportunity. That is an opportunity to increase the value of your television package. And I had somebody say, I was talking with, uh, you know, the pit coach, Pat Narduzzi. He said, yeah, I do. He goes, I just don't think they're going to do it. You know, and, and that's kind of the, well, they're just not going to do it. Well, why aren't they going to do it? 
listen, I've got a lot of faith in Greg Sankey. I think he's a tremendous commissioner. I think he has done a great job running the league, but it's time for innovation. And this was something that Roy Kramer was very good at and Mike Slive was very good at. And I think given the opportunity, if Greg Sankey gets the opportunity, I think he could make this work if he wants to, right? What's the negative of it? Well, a guy could get hurt. Well, they can get hurt playing in the spring game too. Well, you know, you can't make the co- the quarterbacks live. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So you got to put the quarterbacks in a colored jersey and they don't get hit. That's not going to stop me from watching, right? Well, you know, you just don't know if fans are going to come out. Fine. Then not everybody has to do it. Only the programs that want to do it. There's programs that want to have their own little scrimmage and not travel. Don't. But if there's programs that do want to do split squads and play a Pac-12 team or a Big Ten team or a ACC or just anywhere, right? I Well, you know, I heard Auburn was pitched. Well, we could play somebody in the state. I think that's a mistake. I wouldn't want to play anybody in the state. I, I just wouldn't because those guys, you know, it's a, it's a no-win situation. If Auburn loses a scrimmage to Troy, it's going on the wall, number one. Number two, if a Troy guy is so good and outstanding, who's to say Auburn doesn't pick up the phone and say, why don't you come play with us this fall, right? So I don't, I don't like the in-state thing. I, now I, I've talked before about scheduling in-state, but that's off the map now because I think Georgia Tech is too legit. I don't think you can give up that home and home. Um, I think uh, Brett Key has brought them back. Um, that's a, that's going to be an impressive program, I believe. But getting back to the spring game idea, I just feel like it's an opportunity that would enhance the value of the television packages. It would give the players an opportunity to market themselves. I think it's an opportunity for fan interaction. Um, we need to see more of that. Autograph Day needs to come back. Okay, Kirby Smart needs to bring Autograph Day back. Those players need to look into the eyes of the kids that look up to them. They need to feel that community support. So the next time they, you know, think about motoring down 90 mile an hour through a neighborhood, they see the people that live there. They understand who they're accountable to. One of the cool things that Shane Beamer did at South Carolina was he took his team in the stadium and made them walk all the way up to the upper deck and said, there's people that sit here every Saturday to come see you guys play. Think about that. I think if players have their eyes open to that, I think they're more accountable. I miss autograph days. I miss watching the players interact with the fans. I know it's an inconvenience. I know it's a time crunch. And I understand that Kirby's efficient with his time. But there's a fan base out here that stays behind Georgia football. And I want to see those little kids have an opportunity to meet their heroes. And I think that that's a great way to do it. I think the autograph day needs to come back. And there's plenty of opportunities for these guys to still have autograph shows somewhere else and make money signing. But I think there should be that one. And it, why not have it? It's, it should be in conjunction with spring game. It should be in conjunction with that Saturday. In my opinion, that's that's what I would like to see. Um, that's kind of my thought of how this works. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think Freeze brought it up, uh, but Vince Dooley came up with the idea in the 1980s. Um, and it was in relative to Alabama. And I, I spoke with Phil Fulmer a little bit today. He wanted to do it in 2000. So this is an idea that's come up before. Uh, it's just never gained traction. I'll tell you what, you put some dollar signs behind it. And then to me, if you add just a little bit of community, community engagement there with the autograph day where, you know, let kids on the field or what, whatever, 
do something like that. Keep it fan friendly. Uh, make it about the fans as well as the television networks, as well as the NIL marketing opportunities. The people that sponsor kids, they're going to advertise that day. That's their day to, to advertise on social media, that player where you've got some uh, attention, not just to the two fan bases, but I also believe there'd be some other attention uh, from outside. I, I would. I'm, I mean, I'm maybe I'm just a college football junkie, but I would be interested. I would watch other. I tape them. I you know, I love. What are we gonna do? You know, it's a slow summer day. Well, I'll check out this Michigan. Uh, you know, Florida State spring scrimmage. Let's see what this Michigan court. Ohio State. See what Ohio State's like. What does Arch Manning look like in the Texas split scrimmage versus Quinn Ewers? Maybe there's two games. One's away. One's home. Um, just an idea. I just think it would work. So. Those are some thoughts. Um, G-Day game coming up. What am I going to look for? Obviously, I've been watching the quarterbacks just like you. I'm not going to draw any conclusions because this race is not over, and it's not going to be over. Uh, Kirby's going to take it into the fall. He's going to take it in the season. I want to see more Gunnar Stockton, and I know that he's the second-team quarterback and he's learning the offense, but I want to see how he throws it. I want to see how he moves. I want to see how he feels the pocket. I want to see Vandergriff. I've heard Vandergriff's really improved. His throwing looks a lot smoother. Um, he's got a strong arm, we know that, but I'm hearing it's a lot more smooth. He's had more reps, more comfortable running the offense. How comfortable? I want to see Beck. I love watching Beck throw the ball. You see that that blue flame on the back of it when he throws it, man. So much velocity, prototypical NFL arm, athletic. I want to see the decision make. I want to see the transfer receivers. I want to see Love from Missouri. If he's always – I'm hearing great things about the new number six. Big-time playmaker. I want to see the burst. I want to see how fast he looks. How is Lad McConkey? Is he healthy? How does Lad look? What about Bowers? Hard to believe he can get any better, but it sounds like he's working on the loss and lucky freshman tight end. Keep hearing about him. Let's see what he does. Right. So there's a lot of guys. I want. And how does Mims look at right tackle? Mims says last week it's time. He's ready to dominate. I want to see if Amarius Mims is ready to dominate. Right. This is going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to check it out. There's going to be some playmakers on defense. It's going to be Starks. It's going to be Tyke, right? Who's going to get that pit? It's going to be Lassiter. Who's going to be over there? Everett? We don't know. Green? Who's going to make the pitch? You know they're going to bait and make picks because that's what Kirby defenses do. And who are they going to get? So it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you're looking forward to it. Remember, Wednesday night, Jeff Santel does his recruiting show, always with some dynamite material. And every day at 10 a.m., it's Brandon Adams and Dog Nation Daily. You're going to want to check that out. Uh, this is Mike Griffith. I'll be on Dog Nation Daily with Brandon on Wednesday. I look forward to seeing, talking to you then. You can follow me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. I hope to see you there. Everybody, have a great week. And before we go, one final thing. I want to thank our sponsor, Ingles. Every week comes through for us. Appreciate the sponsorship. Let's watch the special message from Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles. Low prices. Love the savings.